go ahead and be dismissed to Children's Church, grades kindergarten through grade four can do that. All right, how is everybody this morning? Good, good to, good to see you guys today. All right, getting everything all set up here. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, happy Valentine's Day. I hope all of you guys that are in relationships are having a, a nice one. And those of you that don't have a special somebody can celebrate that you do not have the pressure of Valentine's Day to live up to. So some of you, some of you are relieved by that. It's great to be here with you all today. In Istanbul, Turkey, there is a two-level bridge called the Galata Bridge. The top level of the bridge is a normal bridge. It's for cars to cross back and forth over this body of water. The bottom level is a pedestrian bridge. And on that bottom level, there's also all these restaurants. And so this is a big tourist attraction in Istanbul. Several years ago, Anne and I were there with some friends being tourists. And so we went to the Galata Bridge and I wanted to really fully embrace this experience. So as we walked across the bridge, I saw the different restaurants and I thought to myself, I'm going to eat here. I'm going to buy some of this food. As I perused the options available to me, it became apparent none of the food could be described as a good eating decision. Basically, all the restaurants on the bridge specialized in frying different sorts of seafood. If you didn't want fried seafood, you had to go somewhere else. And it was also obvious that whatever health department existed in Istanbul did not worry about the restaurants on this bridge. It was a sort of no man's land for health and safety. If a normal score that you have to have to be a restaurant for a health score would be like a 70, I think these restaurants would probably get about a 26. But nonetheless, nonetheless, I was not to be deterred, I ordered some sort of fried fish sandwich. I imagine the fish was, is whatever the Mediterranean version of catfish is. You can probably guess what happened next. I didn't think I was making a great decision at the time. It turns out I made a truly terrible one. For the next several days, my stomach made clear to me that the choice I, was, I had made was evil. <laughs> In today's text, a choice is made. In the moment, it doesn't seem like a great choice. It becomes apparent over time how evil the, of a choice it was. Those that made the choice had to live with the consequences of their decision. If you would please turn with me now to Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 18. The text picks up where we left off last week. We will read through verse 25. That's Luke 23, verses 18 through 25. 
Hear the word of the Lord. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Hindsight is 2020. The crowd in these verses doesn't make a good decision. We can all look back at decisions we have made in the past and acknowledge that maybe an alternative would have been better. There's probably someone listening to this right now, either in person or online, that has a timeshare they regret. Nobody sets out to make a bad decision. If we had known ahead of time what the future held, we would have made a different choice. In regards to Jesus, we have an advantage that the crowd in these verses did not. We know what is coming next. We are not ignorant of what happens after Jesus is killed. Unlike them, we can base our decisions about Jesus on knowledge that they didn't have. Their excuse for calling for Jesus' crucifixion is that they didn't know any better. We do know that Jesus is Lord. Our choices should be based on that fact. People will normally make the decision that they believe will be most beneficial for them. In these verses, the crowd thinks they are making the best decision for themselves. On its surface, this decision doesn't make much sense. Barabbas is a bad dude. Guarantee that if Barabbas had been alive today, walking around, he would have had a face tattoo. You know you shouldn't mess with somebody that has a face tattoo. Pilate can't understand the crowd's thinking. On the one hand, you have this insurrectionist and murderer. On the other, you have Jesus, who has no guilt deserving death. But the crowds cannot be dissuaded. Those present see Jesus as a greater threat. He has the potential to turn their world upside down. They have witnessed his radical power. On some level, they have grasped 
the implications of Jesus' teachings. Pilate, he doesn't get it. He is not wrong that Jesus is not guilty of any of the crimes he is being accused of. Jesus isn't attempting to set up an earthly political kingdom. He is creating a heavenly kingdom that makes Rome seem inconsequential in comparison. Pilate cannot ascertain what Jesus is doing. He doesn't see the threat Jesus is. The crowd is not wrong in viewing Jesus as more problematic for their way of life than Barabbas. Their concerns are based on what Jesus himself has been saying. In chapter 21 of Luke, Jesus states about the temple, that there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. A few verses later, he predicts the desolation of Israel. By the end of the chapter, Jesus is saying, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. It is not that anyone in the crowd likes Barabbas. Those yelling for his freedom are counting on the fact his existence is less of a threat to them than Jesus is. The decision being made here is like the decision a lot of people would make if they had to choose between a mountain lion being let loose in their town or being invaded by an army. Now, nobody wants a mountain lion roaming around, but the odds are in your favor that you will not be the one to get mauled. If your town gets invaded by an army, it's going to impact everything. Your whole life will get turned upside down. In the analogy, Barnabas is the mountain lion. Jesus is the invading army. The contrast between Jesus and Barabbas is greater than even Pilate and the crowd realize. It is the difference between good and evil. Barabbas in this text functions as the embodiment of evil. He has no redeeming value. Chaos and death follow him wherever he goes. Jesus is good. Wherever he goes, he brings life. Peace and understanding flow in his wake. In choosing Barabbas over Jesus, the crowd thinks they are choosing a continuation of the present over a future that they find threatening. They are choosing that. They are also choosing evil over good. They underestimate the depravity of the world they live in. They can't see how bad things already are. The current path they are on is in defiance of God. Willful ignorance keeps the crowd from acknowledging what they are choosing. The choice for Barabbas is not just a choice 
to have Jesus killed is a choice in favor of evil. It didn't seem like that in the moment to the crowd. Their concern was being rid of Jesus. Barnabas was of secondary importance in their decision-making. Their choice of him showed the evil path they were committed to. We are faced with the same decision between good and evil in our own lives. Will we choose Barabbas? Opting for the ways of this world seems innocuous enough. The end result is much worse than we can even imagine. We choose the way of Barabbas when we reject the way of Jesus. The contrast between choosing to go along with the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of Christ is real. It is a choice between evil and good. It is a choice between life and death. Choosing Jesus is choosing life. This is true eternally. Humans are born in sin, condemned to eternal death. This is not a rare malady only some are afflicted with. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. God is the source of life. Apart from God, life cannot exist. Our sin separates us from God. Physical and spiritual death is the inevitable result. Jesus offers eternal life. He alone can do so. He is the only man that has broken the power of sin and death. No alternative options exist. Jesus' desire is that all people would be saved from evil. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6, God, our Savior, desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. By choosing Jesus in faith, we accept the gift of life only he can offer. He is our salvation. He is the source of life. This is true eternally. It is true temporally as well. Jesus is life-giving in this world as well as the next. Often the reason Jesus is not the choice people make is because Human thinking is constrained. We have a limited perspective. We do not see what the future holds. We make decisions based on partial information. The crowds urgently demanding Jesus' crucifixion with, with loud cries are victims of their own short-sightedness. 
Their focus is on how Jesus will upset their lives. They fail to see how Jesus will actually make their lives better. Jesus is for people. He is a force for good. He reorders the thinking which sin has skewed. He shows us how to live a good life. Recently at the Fugate house, we have been having issues with our dog, Pogo. We used to be able to let Pogo out in the front yard and he would do his business and he would come back in the house. And of late, when we let him out, we go back, you know, five minutes later to let him back in and he is gone. He is nowhere to be found. And he always comes back two or three hours later. He seems very happy when he returns. But it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to get on the town Facebook page and see all these people posting pictures of like, hey, who does this random dog belong to? Does anybody know who this dog belongs to? It also worries us for him. He's out there thinking that he's living his best life now. And we're thinking, dude, you're going to get hit by a car. Or somebody's just going to decide they like you, which would be their mistake, and keep you and we'll never see you again. What Pogo doesn't understand is that we want good things for him. But since we cannot trust him, we have to limit his freedom further. Jesus wants the same thing in this world for all people. A person that wants the same things that Christ wants for them will have the best life possible. He sees what we cannot. He knows how choosing him will impact our future. The choice for Jesus is not just the morally right choice. It also leads to the best possible outcomes. The decision a person makes between Jesus and the alternative will determine their outcome. In choosing Barabbas, the crowd chose their future. They thought that this choice had a low probability of impacting them. In fact, they were actually embracing their own future destruction. In the years that followed Jesus' crucifixion, Jerusalem was a place where murder and insurrection were common. All of this came to a head in 70 AD when the city was recaptured and destroyed by Roman armies after a prolonged siege. In choosing Barabbas, this was the future that was chosen. Jesus knew this was what they were choosing. In a few verses, he says, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen 
when it is dry. Jesus knew what was coming. By choosing Barabbas over Jesus, the crowd chose evil over good. The results were tragic, although not surprising. God's judgment frequently operates by just giving us over to the results of the choices we have made. Judgment is not normally surprising in retrospect. It is the logical culmination of decisions that have been made previously. Sin, choosing anything over Jesus, leads to destruction. There's a direct cause and effect relationship. God will often hold back the consequences of our decisions for a time to give us a chance to change our minds. This is part of the grace that he shows us. If we persist, he will remove his hand of protection from us. Those of us sitting here today are choosing our future just as surely as the crowd was in these verses. When we turn away from Jesus, we are choosing whatever we turn to in place of him. Normally, for us, our decisions are not as obvious as the one made by the crowd in these verses. Few of us will ever find ourselves in a situation with such a clear contrast between good and evil. That doesn't mean the decisions we make are less impactful. Choosing anything over Christ has inevitable consequences. We are tempted to replace Jesus with family, work, nation, entertainment, and wealth. Even good things are bad if they are chosen in place of Jesus. They will end up being the means of our destruction. Too often Christianity becomes about choosing to follow the rules. A list of immoral behaviors is communicated. Don't party, don't swear, don't get drunk, don't be greedy, don't have sex before marriage, don't hold grudges. These are all activities the Bible tells us to avoid. They are wrong. The reason they are wrong is that they are destructive. Jesus doesn't want us to do things that lead to death. All the things that the Bible tells us to avoid are for our own good. The Bible tells us to avoid drunkenness, not because it is anti-fun. It does so because Jesus doesn't want us to act like dummies. More than choosing whether or not to act in a certain way, we are choosing what we will love. What we love is what will define our lives. If we love Jesus, that will change the way we go about every area 
of our lives. Apart from Him, we cannot see what is good. We inevitably make the wrong decision. We inevitably settle for these temporary satisfactions. In the short term, we may feel like we are winning. Eventually, our decisions will catch up with us. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the narrow path that leads to abundant life in this world. In choosing him, we make the best possible choice for ourselves. When we choose Christ, we are choosing the better way forward. This in no way means there will not be trials in this world. A choice for Jesus is a decision to reject the world. The world doesn't take kindly to being rejected. Our well-being is not determined by the world. Those who choose Christ will die the world just as Jesus did. The outcome is that we will be raised to new life just as Jesus was. In the days following my fried fish sandwich on the Glotta Bridge in Istanbul, I regretted my decision. The temporary satisfaction I thought I was gaining at a cheap price was not what I ended up paying. This world will continually give us options that seem cheap and convenient. The crowd thought Barabbas was going to cost them little. The consequences of choosing Barabbas over Jesus were horrific. Rejecting Jesus is embracing death. Loving Jesus, choosing him, is a large investment, but the payoff surpasses what we can hope for. We have an advantage the crowd in these verses did not. We know that Jesus is Lord. We know what his love has done for us. The question we have to answer is what we will do with this information. Will we turn to Jesus in love or will we reject him as they did. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for sending Christ into this world to give up his life on our behalf. There is no greater love than this, and we thank you for that, Lord. I pray that we would make the decision to respond to that love, that we would trust that what you have in store for us is is good and desirable. And I pray that we would turn away from the short-term satisfactions that so often cloud our thinking, Lord. I pray that we would turn to Jesus Christ in love and that through that we might experience your fullness. I ask all these things in Jesus' name.